0: trying to wrestle with the supply and demand equation, uh, there's a lot of capabilities, right? Data, analytics, web page authoring, uh, on and on and on. The demand for these capabilities and these skill sets will always be greater than the supply.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Room for Growth. This is a special episode. It is the first episode of our third season. So thank you for joining us on this journey. I am solo today. Billy Fisher is at a conference in New York City. So you are stuck with just me, but luckily we have a fabulous guest. Um, Chris O'Brien is a senior product manager at m and Bank. He owns basically the entire tech stack for MNT end-to-end, MNT t Bank, if you haven't heard of them, they are a legacy pillar of the financial institution. Um, they are especially great at building trust. They have been in the news semi-recently when there was a lot of fallout from where investment dollars were going in Silicon Valley, M&T Bank was sort of seen as this pillar of trust in this brand that you could really trust in a time of flight and risk. Um, so I think it's really interesting to talk to Chris about how he operates as a MarTech strategist and as a leader in this space. How does he make decisions about where to put investment and where to make bets about where the industry is going and what customer needs will be in the future? Versus what he spends, you know, a limited budget on today. He's going to talk a lot about how m Bank isn't the biggest player in the game. They don't have a budget that's unlimited. He has to make choice. And within that, it's really interesting to think about how he aligns his MarTech strategy and the platforms that he invests in, the work that he does, the development that happens with the business goals and the changing landscape for consumers. So a really interesting conversation. I think there's a lot that can be pulled for, for all different kinds of marketing leaders. And I'm excited to talk to him. So without further ado, let's just jump right in. Hey, everybody. We are in luck today. We are going to have a deep dive conversation on the state of MarTech, particularly in financial services, which is just an industry ready for some transformation, for some big booms. So today we have Chris O'Brien. He's a Senior Vice President of Product Management at M&T Bank a MarTech leader who has experience in both leading digital transformations and getting tech stacks to work together hypothetically, especially in um, industries that tend to be very challenging for technology and challenging from a volume perspective as well. So Chris, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Looking forward to the conversation.
1: Likewise. So Chris, to start off, tell us just a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What role are you in? What is your day job?
0: Yeah, thanks. Uh, for the question so I have worked at MNT now uh, a little over uh, seven years actually almost it might be eight years and have really been working uh, to mature our our tech uh, our tech stack to support the evolution of uh, our customers and the evolution of, of the business strategy And at this point my current role is what we call a senior product owner of our marketing and customer experience art. Uh, and and that's all a lot uh, of words, but an art is an agile release train. And really what that is, is it's a team of team structure. So we have a series of agile oriented teams and I sit within the business and am the liaison, if you will, to our technology partners. So we have a, a number of different agile teams that work. Uh, against those objectives in support of a really diverse array of stakeholders. Um, So we have internal users uh, who are hands-on on on many of our platforms. uh, And then we also have lots of external users uh, who come to use our products uh, and and interface with us on things like uh, mtb.com and and WilmingtonTrust.com. So it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, We get to work across the enterprise uh, and really support the growth of uh, the organization through the strategic application of um, people, process, data, and technology.
1: Awesome. So MarTech can encompass so many things. It can be messaging, it can be data orchestration, data management, uh, measurement, of course. It encompasses potentially a wide range of platforms and operations. Uh, get a little bit more specific. What are you owning and overseeing at M&T Bank today?
0: Yeah, great question. I have a lot of different partners that help support us from a lot of uh, a, a lot of different perspectives, right? So I always like to to talk about it as all of this is a team sport, right? There's a lot of different people working uh, to support our customers and support the business across platforms. Typically, I've been really focused on activation. So how can we connect with our customers? on our own channels but then also in the broader digital ecosystem right our customers don't exist only in the branch or only on our website or or mobile banking uh or online banking but also uh in in a much broader digital ecosystem right across things like the walled gardens uh viewing uh publications and so we want to be able to build an ecosystem so that we can interact with those people uh across the channels uh, where they interact so Really, a, a broad swath of capabilities—you might say—sort of marketing technology, ad technology, sales enablement, and uh, a little bit of customer experience operations. So there's uh, there's there's quite a handful of applications and vendor relationships that underlie all that we do. And and again, it's a team sport. There's a lot of people working on it um, from from a lot of different perspectives. Right? I, I don't want to act like this is me alone. Um, certainly. Uh, certainly, it, it is a team sport, and that's how we look at it.
1: Talk to us a little bit about some of the trends that you're seeing both in MarTech as well as how marketing practitioners are using tools to drive business outcomes. I know that one thing in particular that we've seen in financial services is that it tends to be that those who are managing the technology for marketing are pretty far removed from the day-to-day practitioners in the past that's created challenges bringing sort of user experiences to life. Um, But also just like the platforms themselves, what's available for fintech companies, not just fintech companies, but large financial services companies, um, fairly limited because you just have a whole set of sort of infosec requirements you have to uh, be accountable to. So what kinds of trends are you seeing today? What are some of the biggest shifts happening?
0: Yeah, I, I love that question. Thanks for that. I think one of the things that we focus on a lot to try to uh, get around one of those challenges that you just called out is really focus on end users, not just as right customers or prospects, but also our, our stakeholders and our end users uh, within marketing, right? And, and we take that experience very seriously. So we, we even are working on, uh, I'll call it a, a way to measure customer experience of the users of our platforms, right? Sort of a pseudo NPS, if you will, and one of the trends I think that's really important for marketing departments, but probably for the business broadly, is thinking about capabilities and, um, and trying to wrestle with the supply and demand equation. Uh, there's a lot of capabilities, right? Data, analytics, uh, web page authoring, uh, on and on and on. The, the demand for these capabilities and these skill sets um, will always be greater than the supply right it's really difficult to recruit some of this top talent and you know obviously there's budget pressure and, and headcount pressure right so trying to do you know you always hear this articulated as we're asking to be we're asked people are asking us to do more with less right and so that leads us to the trend of being able to look at these not as just right the tech and data i think that's one of the challenges is if you're removed from the business, removed from the marketers, and you're just focused on the tech and data, you're not as focused on the people in process. Uh, and so it's really important to say, okay, how can we solve this across all of the levers that are available to us, and then work uh, to, to solve those uh, across those different levers. And one of the things that I think is an important trend, and, and I believe that, that we've done well with and are continuing to do well, is thinking about that. Uh, in a way that we would want to democratize capabilities. right? So if there is a bottleneck on, say, web page authoring, how can we build a system and a platform that'll enable more people to build right web pages? right? So if the business says, hey, we want right these web pages and there is a bottleneck on uh, on, on like you know your traditional website team, well, let's solve for that bottleneck right, and, and really enable more people to do that. And so that's, uh, I think, a trend that is important and increasingly important. And one of the other technology trends that everyone has been talking about, obviously, this is a super hot topic, is generative AI and its application within marketing, whether it's for creating copy or for creating um, visual content. I think the, the, the democratization of AI along with the democratization of Martech and you've seen this with no code platforms right that's going to continue to really skyrocket and so we're really excited about the opportunity to kind of match those trends uh, and really be able to you know to, to answer that supply and demand equation and and truly do more with less like I, I really do think that we're in an era where we, we can do a lot more with a lot less if we can enable, Right, the the right capabilities in, in the right way. I mean, to your point, right, we have to do all of that, which isn't trivial, inside of a, you know, a, a pretty strict risk management framework.
1: That's such an interesting concept. I mean, we hear about this a lot, the trade-offs between centralized tech where you have good control mechanisms, you can have better consistency. There's probably more strategy going into both the platforms that are being leveraged as well as the content being created or the web pages being built or the right. messages being sent, right? right? That it's easier when everything is centralized to have that sense of quality control. But democratization comes speed and agility and innovation and experimentation and all of these things that are also really important. Where do you think is the right balance between those two concepts, especially in financial services, where as MT Bank, you're known as a really trustworthy organization. That's a hard um, place to be in the industry. It's such an important reputation to keep and democratization under its worst terms could threaten that because of quality breaches in terms of just like end content, for example. Um, Where do you think that intersection is? What's the right balance between control versus agility?
0: And it changes every day, right? I, I think that we have to continually wrestle with that You know where we're 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 assessing right? We're assessing risk in a lot of different ways, and I I think you, you know, touched on a couple of them. Right, reputational risk is is a huge one, in addition to all the other, you know, risk management that happens. And so I, I like to think that we should focus on establishing principles, and then making sure that we build those principles within. The system, whether that's building it into the culture of the organization, or it's building it into something that's systematic within the actual tech and within the data, and and just making sure that we have those those proper checks and balances to enable the organization to have a right that right level of agility, but also be able to manage and govern risk. and And I think you know we're never going to be um, we're a pretty conservative organization, right and, and I think we're never going to be as agile as right a, a three-person startup where you can test and try new things and you know you, you're really not as concerned about reputational risk. So certainly there's there's a, um, there's a level of agility that we'll never achieve and that is too far. You know but we can have aspirations to you know be able to be more agile, Within the risk management framework that that the bank has, so I, I think that's really how I try to think about it is is constantly wrestling with that and making sure that we're being really really good stewards of the organization, enabling uh, the teams to have that um you know that feeling within the culture. I think that's super important, right? People are just so important to all this, um, and then also just thinking about right, like how can we still be innovated with within that framework. Um, and, and that's what we try to do—is is, is really just continually balance that and, and challenge ourselves, um, but at the same time, right, have our customers in mind. I think that's super important. All of this, right? Um, yeah. So it's it's not it's not an easy issue, but it's it's certainly not one that's going away.
1: Yeah. Um, going back to your comment about AI and the opportunities that exist to leverage AI for content or for. Uh, production of different type of imagery for marketing messaging. Um, I, if I were to assess the state of the state, I'd say that in general, marketers are in like a test and learn phase right now, where there might be some use cases that make sense for AI. We're not totally sure what the end experience will be and whether it will drive business outcomes or how it helps efficiency. Like We're not quite measuring the impact yet. But I'm curious if you can add some specificity to the use cases that you see where AI could be really beneficial um, and drive business outcomes. What do you think is most exciting about particularly some of the content generation that's possible?
0: Yeah, I, I think there's a ton of different use cases, right? Both to drive growth as well as improve operational efficiency. So we're you know, really excited about that, right? And, and it's not the... It's not the technology for technology's sake, right? It's it's finding the right applications to be able to drive the business outcomes, um, and and you know business outcomes for us, right? There, there's a lot, but but ultimately most of them boil down to growth or operational efficiency, and so finding um, finding tools and and technology that can help us with that is is always going to be important. I would say that marketers in financial services within the the big players, um, so sort of. A larger than MNT bank are are well outside of the test and learn phase. They're to pretty full operationalization of some of these things. And so for us, I think it's a little bit of, of playing catch up to be candid, we're not going to have those technology budgets that you know the Chases have. I, I think I saw one time that uh, the amount that Chase spends on technology every day is our whole annual tech budget. So just just orders of magnitude different. Um, But with some of the new technology, there is um, the ability for smaller organizations to get leverage out of these types of things. And so for me, it's really about, right, what are the business outcomes? What are the use cases? And then map the solution to that and not start with the solution, right? I think that is really important for people to focus on, especially when we're in these hype cycles, um, right. And, and, and I think a good example of that was, right, like how hyped up Web3 got, how hyped up the metaverse got. And while there's definitely still applications and, and probably pretty, pretty incredible businesses that can get built, that, that train is, is kind of left. And now we're on this new hype cycle. So it's really making sure that we're still, right, we're focusing on the business, we're focusing on the customers and letting that lead us rather than letting the hype cycle and the tech lead us. Um, in terms of specificity, I think it goes to what you mentioned in terms of agility and experimentation. I think we've done a really good job about enabling a culture of experimentation. m and even before I got here, always had a pretty strong, uh, we call it test and learn uh, mindset. And, and that was really something that we've embedded within marketing And so I just see these technologies as helping us to continue to do that, right? How can we just speed up the experimentation, enable more people to experiment in more ways? I think a really good example of how we might use these is using things to help us to craft copy, uh, but then also be able to test that copy uh, at scale across different segments of our customers. That's a really great application. Of some of these technologies and 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 I think there's a lot of results that that show the the promise of continuing to invest in, in that type of stuff.
1: Yeah, those are really great points. I would love to spend an hour digging in on where you think some of the biggest players in the space are creating such a competitive advantage by their adoption of these tools. But um I will keep us moving because
0: Yeah, so I think one of the things that I see and and I, you know. I'm a nerd about this stuff. So I I definitely have more financial relationships than the average person just because I want to see what's out there, right? And um, some of the the larger national banks, um, they clearly have uh, this figured out, right? So they have a a curriculum of things that they want to talk to you about, right? There are a series of things that based upon your relationship with them Right, which is really just data. Right, based upon the data that they have about you, um, they know the things that they want to talk to you about, and they limit those things so that they're not overwhelming you with messages. But then they're also right, reading your behavior and tailoring that based upon your behavior. So really building out those um, that understanding of their customers, and then allowing intense signals. To adjust how they're, you know, interacting with you, and and that's always happened in in financial services, face to face, right? You go into a branch, and and someone right knows the information about you within their CRM, and based upon your behavior, your intent signals of what you're telling that person in the branch or how you're behaving, right? They tailor their message to you, and and it's really not entirely different. It's just in a different channel and, and perhaps with a lot more data than we had in the past. And so I, I kind of look at it like that where we want we know that we we have this relationship with this person and we want to show them that we we know them, right? We understand them and we communicate as such. And so I think that's really what it's all about is being able to build that curricula and and speak with your customers about that in a way that makes sense, right? It's relevant. And that's what some of the the big players are, are doing really, really well is is developing that and, and being able to coordinate and orchestrate that across channels. Um, I, I'm impressed by some of the stuff that, that people are doing.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I think of... Um, like hearing you talk about how these tools are being leveraged, you're also relying on principles of marketing that we've had since the dawn of CRM. So you're talking about sort of like... RFM principles of like recency, frequency, monetary value, what's the next best offer based on those principles. But I guess what you're saying is, take the same best practices, the same structure that we've always had for making rules and logic about what you offer people or trying to focus them on a particular action, but put data at scale. And now we have a way to actually manage that and optimize toward it and do it at a one-to-one level. And then add content specificity on top of that and then be testing that content um, sometimes questions about scale of operations really overwhelm my brain, um, because it's easy when you get into this robot world to not be able to like see beyond human function, right? Like it's beyond human control. I'm I'm just curious how you think about what's the right level of scale? What should be the north star of personalization? How tightly should we be trying to achieve like one to one? versus continuing to think more traditional segmentation, like we have a group of a thousand people, a million people who all kind of need the same thing and that's worth our time and effort versus how close can we get to the one-to-one knowing we might miss the mark entirely. Like I'm just curious to hear one more, five more minutes of your thoughts on on what's possible in terms of scale and personalization in financial services.
0: Yeah, um, I, I think it goes back to those principles, right? And I've been uh, in and around marketing or, or sales you know for a long time. And the one thing that always holds true is that we really need to understand our customers, right? And, and so marketing to me is the part of the organization that understands our customers the best, right? And, and we should hold on to that. And how we do that has changed, but it still stays the same. And to your point about customer segmentation or audiences, that is all still relevant, but you can get to one-to-one really quickly right through behavioral data because everyone's behaviors are different. So let's say that you want to engage uh, a specific audience or a specific segment um, with certain products. And so you create right products and you create digital services for that segment, right? And then how do you layer that into someone's experience with your brand based upon their behavior, based upon those intense signals uh, that they give you? Um, And and that really quickly gets you to -to one-to-one. So I I don't think it's, again, like one-to-one for one to one sake, but it's about how can you use principles like knowing your customer and really supporting your customer to get you to that experience, and, and certainly we're not perfect at this. But the way I think about personalization is, you know, in order to not be creepy, you need to be useful. And if you're useful and you're creating that fair value exchange, then you're you're generally going to see good outcomes, right? I think it's when brands um, they focus too much on the business results at the expense of the customers. That you see those bad experiences, right? So as we're thinking about personalization and and really how to apply it at scale, principles are really important. and And, and most customers are not going to complain, right? If you're supporting them toward better outcomes and you're you know really giving that value exchange in a way that it's a it's a win for them, right? Making making these communications useful and relevant. And certainly we have we have work to do there, right? Like we're 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 not perfect. But um, I think that those are the things that that can help guide us.
1: Yeah, I love the idea that was thematic in what you just said about if you're not sure how to be using AI today, use it to understand your customers. Don't use it to increase volume to them. Use it to understand what their needs are, their friction points in a really granular way as the best place to at least increase the strategy of what you're trying to do. So Chris, you have done... uh, what I think of as one of the hardest things in MarTech, which is around consolidation. Uh, We're seeing a ton of consolidation in the banking industry as a whole, but you've also had to go through tech consolidation as part of your role. Um, can you talk just a little bit about what m strategy is for integrating MarTech solutions with legacy systems and through acquisitions? And how do you... What are the best practices? What are the tenets and principles that you lean on to keep MNT Bank moving forward in terms of its technological capabilities while also respecting the fact that change is really hard. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a another really good question and, and another one that you know we're always wrestling with on a daily basis. And I, I think it's just a balance, right? So as as a bank, certainly we're financially driven. So our, our pencils are pretty sharp and our calculators are nearby. Um, so we're pretty focused on right making sure that we're delivering value for the uh, investments that we make um, and, and certainly rationalizing tech is a part of that um and, and so it's it's really about you know balancing that um, that investment with the the outcomes uh, and also being able to kind of keep up and support the business strategy so that the business isn't waiting on us and that's really really difficult but uh, many and this was something I I've had firsthand experience with here as well as at other organizations where right business strategies pivot the objectives from senior leadership change and and that's not going away in fact it's going to happen more quickly right like it used to be that perhaps the world changed every year or or maybe um, certainly slower than it does now right it seems like the world changes every day now. And so it's really important for us to be able to build that fungibility or or maybe that's not the right word, but let's say like the extensibility and flexibility within the system so that we can pivot. Right. Uh, And I think a lot of businesses saw the need to do that, including us right during the pandemic. Right. Basically, overnight, things changed. People didn't come into the branches anymore. Right. They, They really couldn't come into the branches anymore. And so. There, there are so many examples of that, right? Where um, where customer behavior changes, and so the business strategy uh, needs to change. And so we want to be able to build that flexibility within the system, so we can pivot and react um, as quick as possible, right? When the priorities shift, um, and one of the things I I think about to be successful at marketing technology is being really focused and aligned on like what is the vision and what is the business strategy and then how do we deliver against that. And so it's it's having those those the, the focus on the business and in a way that um you're designing the system to be able to react to the business. Um, and then certainly like at a at a more um granular level, I guess you could say, right, we have uh, relationships with with lots of different vendors right with marketing clouds with best-in class endpoint solutions and i think those are really important right is is getting the balance of uh your partnerships and your vendor relationships right um and then making sure that you're you're going deep where it, it makes sense for your business and uh rethinking uh some of the decisions that were made in the past right like certainly there's lots of legacy technology um, that we we have to interoperate with but it's it's how do you build something that is flexible to operate with legacy technology but also moves forward right and and I, I think one of the one of the hot topics in the past which which really hasn't gone away but people you know don't talk a ton about as much is cloud right and how how much modern cloud technology has, allowed us to do things uh, in a different way than we could in the past and, and certainly you know cloud is huge in marketing technology. so I think that's a big that's a big tailwind for marketing technology teams is is just being able to adopt and leverage uh, cloud it, it, it helps in so many ways.
1: Yeah, that was one of the first things that I thought of when you were talking about investing in sort of good bets that you won't regret as the business moves forward. One in financial services, of course, being the transition from on-prem servers to cloud and just how challenging that has been to make sure data stays extremely safe, as safe as it could possibly be when it's stored in servers that are locked up on site somewhere. That's a big one, but I'm curious if you can go a step further into how you think about this. Like we hear so many marketing and business leaders talk about the importance of having a flexible tech stack, flexible to change, flexible to a changing ecosystem and to business goals. But how are you really doing that? What are some of the takeaways that other MarTech leaders could learn from MNT Bank on how to even think about this challenge the right way?
0: Yeah, uh, it's a hard one. Uh, but going back to what you said, I like the concept of making good bets. I think that's good. And there's a concept that I kind of touched on earlier about being able to build the system and build the tech and data ahead of the strategy that it, it's sort of related, sort of not called architectural runway. And I talk about that a lot, right? Is like, how can we really understand the current business strategy, but also understand user behavior, how the world is tending to change and then create runway ahead of it by right making those those good bets. Um, and that's not easy. but ultimately I think that is one of the things that can help folks. In terms of right specific things that Martech leaders can do, uh, it is I think leaning into some of those more uh, forward leaning forward thinking like technologies right like cloud is a big one. I know another hot topic now that is really really important is focusing on identity. You know, banks and financial services have had a really really strong focus on um, on understanding their customers and have a wealth of first-party data, right? Which is one of the things that is is really great uh, is I should say advantageous over say the publishing industry, where they didn't really necessarily have that first-party data relationship, right? We, we do know a lot about our customers, and so it's really about you know, how do we leverage that along with some of these new identities, especially as um, you know, cookies become less and less valuable within the digital marketing ecosystem, right? And so mapping the strategies from the old technology, right, third-party cookies, into the, the new technology, if you will, and, and that's like cloud-based identities, um, and then be able to interact with people uh, across channels in context. I think that's a big one. Um, and one that I, I think we're we're doing some things that are, are um, as, as you so eloquently said, good bets.
1: Yeah, I think a lot about... I like the concept of architectural runway and what that means. And it brings me back to something that a guest of ours, Nate Wooten, who leads all of our product strategy for WillowTree... Parkinson, which is just the idea that when new experiences are launched for the first time, they delight users, but eventually they just become an ubiquitous expectation. So one of those would be, for instance, the touch screen of an iPhone. When that first came out, it was such a delight feature. It was so cool and new and fun. And now it's just an expectation. The nice thing, at least about financial services and some of these like larger industries, is you have the benefit of seeing more emerging technology create front-end experiences that just become the expected experience for consumers and being able to determine like which of these experiences will consumers expect us as a bank to also adopt for them. Um, so that's a nice lagging indicator of how to make change. But I'm curious what leading indicators you have to look at and you have to be considerate of that are unique to financial services in particular.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think those, those things are important, right? In terms of like experiences um, through digital leaders that create the new expectations uh, for users. Um, and one of the things I think that, that benefits us uh, is that that can become a leading indicator, and that we don't need to be on the cutting edge of adopting all of those things because it's not expected of us. Um, and certainly, right back to the point I made earlier about the the difference in magnitude of tech spend between someone of our size versus you know one of the, the larger national banks is that that we're never going to be able to keep up with that, right? Like so, if we're going to play feature functionality game of who has the, you know, the hottest new financial management feature like we're, we're never going to be able to to keep up with that. But but that we don't need to. It's about right providing the right functionality, um, and experience for, uh, our customers, right. And a lot of it is just like, it's the basics, right. It's 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 giving people what they need when they need it, regardless of what channel is most convenient for them at the time. Um, so it, it doesn't necessarily, in my mind, have to be fancy. I think the hard thing that there is is to try to create the ability to switch contexts quickly as customers switch contexts. I think that's one of the behavior changes that is is a little bit difficult. It's, it's easy for a digital native brand to really be able to do that across a few channels. Let's just think of like an e-commerce brand, right? Where their, their primary channels are are the website or mobile app, um, perhaps email, and, and then maybe a phone number, right? So three channels. And, and so orchestrating and coordinating experiences across those in context, um, while not trivial, is is a lot easier than doing that across the number of channels that we have right especially when we also have um in branch experiences as well as for b2b um you know relationships folks have a relationship manager you know uh who they interact with so you know sometimes customers are are interacting with us on on let's say a dozen channels um and it, you know you have those legacy technologies that you're also uh having to uh having to interact with and so that that becomes, I think, the real challenge is like getting the basics right across all of those um, different touch points. Um, and that's how you're going to really stand out to provide a really strong customer experience and keep people you know, coming back to your brand uh, is not those whiz bang feature functionality, but using right customer uh, behavior as the leading indicator. And just doing what I think um, strong financial institutions have always done, is, is, is knowing their customers and supporting those customers with the, the products and services that, that they need to um, live an abundant life.
1: Uh, you talk a lot about staying close to your customers, really understanding who they are, what their needs are. How do you incorporate customer feedback and insights into your MarTech strategy and decision-making? Um, I think all brands want to be very customer-obsessed, but many struggle to actually keep data moving into their systems and into their decision-making in a meaningful way. How are you all tackling this? That's a great question.
0: Um, And I I think you can can do it a lot of different ways. And I would say I don't focus as much on a lot of end-user experiences. A lot of what we're doing is building infrastructure, and so it's a little different than if you were to talk to right a team that was doing something with a mobile app or online banking. You know, ours is ours is definitely different, and 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 so we definitely want to talk to customers, right? If if nothing else, go out and and literally talk to your customers, right? I think that can't be overstated. Uh, and then there's other ways to do that, right? Using uh, online tools. I'm a a big fan of doing user research. Uh, whether you're getting quantitative data from a site analytics tool, or you're getting qualitative data from uh, a UX research type tool, I think all of those can be really, really helpful. And then we also have a pretty robust voice of customer and voice of employee programs, and those are also incredibly helpful because when we th- when we think about our customers, right, it's it's not just those. External customers or actual M and customers. Our employees are also customers, um, and and whether that's the marketers who are using some of these platforms and improving their experience, or it's someone um, on the front lines, right in a branch and a call center, making sure that we're measuring their sentiment and experience and pulling in that feedback to improve the systems that they use. I think that um, that we. We've we take that pretty seriously, and, and I think do a pretty good job. And, and there's a lot of, you know, things out there. You know, a lot of the same technologies that brands use to measure um, customer experience and sentiment from their their you know their customers, uh, you can use those same tools and, and techniques uh, within the organization as well.
1: We are building prototypes right now where we're actually trying to use existing AI tools to consolidate feedback that comes through other platforms about things like app reviews. Or, um, or you know, non-structured feedback that might come from like an in-store survey or some kind of written review format. Or it's part of the problem with that is there's just so many that it's hard to actually theme that feedback and understand it in a meaningful way. So we're working on prototypes to take that feedback, consolidate it in a tool like ChatGPT, and then understand it back out as something that's more shareable. So back to your point about you know just the Opportunities that exist with AI to simply understand the customer better, to take on massive amounts of data that for any human brain would be just too much to understand in a way that can point to an insight or direction or a what to do. Um, it will be really interesting to see how we can better understand the customer through that lens.
0: And I think it's a great application, right? It's and it, it's already being baked into some of the systems that you're using. Um, you know, they're layering in. Uh, those technologies to do things like data mining and, and BI, and then putting on chat layers to be able to query that uh, analysis in a chat, right? Rather than using um, SQL or or another type of of you know technical language. Um, so that that's already happening, right? And and you're seeing all these businesses that are really starting where they're they're taking. Um, something that already exists, but they're just (laughs) combining that with like ChatGPT. I think a good example of this evolution over maybe the last five years, an example that I use a lot is is Zapier and ChatGPT. So Zapier is essentially like an integration hub technology. They brought no code to something that previously required technical skills. And then, you know, you layer that with that sort of, chat interface um, and it enables someone who's not non-technical but semi-technical without code to, to do some pretty amazing things and and I think that's what you're going to see within a lot of these platforms is, is those are just going to get embedded and so it's just going to make um, people that have the proclivity and the um, I guess the ability to learn new things uh, to do T- things that were very technical only five years ago.
1: Yeah, that's a super great point. I mean, I think especially like software developers are already thinking about how much of their job can be outsourced to something like a ChatGPT and then what replaces that time? Like, what can we put brain power against? I, maybe I'm an optimist because I think as soon as you take away a basic function that somebody shouldn't even be spending brain power on because it's so tedious, then what do you replace that time spent? Doing and can it be really positive? Can it be beneficial? Can it be innovative? Can it push the needle on the experiences that we know how to build today because we're just limited by time, mm-hmm. limited by brain power? Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds like you have a bit of optimism in this space too, where right now there's because like there's optimists and pessimists, and it sounds like we're both on the optimism side.
0: I was gonna say I'm generally an optimist. I I don't know about this. I'm uh if we were to have a conversation specifically about AI and, and modern technology and implications on humans, I, I'm not optimistic. So it's a little bit different. But in terms of what you're saying specifically for the future of work, I am. I think it allows people to do higher value work. I already see the benefit to productivity of myself, I, outside of work, just in my personal life, you know, trying to utilize and learn these new technologies and, and how and where to use them. It's, it's incredible what you can do, right? Like something that might've taken, let's say you wanted to do some kind of strategy research and create a deck uh, for a senior leader. And that might've taken two weeks in the past. You can do that in, in an hour. Um, it, it's wild. Uh, and so I, I think that I'm optimistic about the, I'm optimistic about the ability for white collar workers who adopt these technologies to succeed, but there's other things that I'm, I'm not as optimistic about. Um, but ultimately I, I think it's, it's not super helpful to be, um, to be pessimistic. And certainly like nowadays you see so many people that are, um, are really pessimistic about a lot of different things to the point where, you know, you just have apathy and that's that's probably not a helpful way to live either.
1: Love to see you out here living as a technology moderate. <laughs> yeah. Um Chris, one more question for you. This podcast at its core is really about how brands can build experiences that are so good they drive true brand loyalty. So I'm always curious which brands our guests are actually loyal to. Um, who do you love and why?
0: That's a great question. Um, I, uh, I have a lot, um, but I would say one is um, Nikon, the camera company. Uh, and I've been a Nikon guy for a really long time for a bunch of different reasons. Um, but ultimately they they make a really really solid product uh so that would be one um, another is uh specialized bicycles i'm a little bit biased because i work there uh but ultimately i think that the the products are just super solid and that's a really good example of of where you're going there is like those are premium products that cost more than the competitors generally but you know, you still go and, and go for that brand because it's just it's a better product in, in so many senses. Um, and so, those are two that that I um, that I reference. Um, but certainly, there's there's others out there. Um, and honestly, I probably should think more about it. I don't. I haven't really thought about that in a long time.
1: Well, Chris, thank you for being on today. It was really great to hear your perspective. Would love to have you back in a year when we have a better sense of how AI has truly shifted business because I think you are right. It's going to cause change at a rapid pace. And anyone who can keep up with that pacing is likely to see some wins. So uh, we'll be curious to check in with you again in the future. Otherwise, thank you so much for being on Room for Growth. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. I hope everybody has a great rest of their week. Thank you. It's fun.